thank you, Richard, for your prayer. And thank you all for coming. Um, and we thank God for facilitating this meeting. It, it, it was supposed to have made on the 2nd of December. Um, even this one was not settled. I can tell you that because uh, last week, or the week, when is it? That, yeah, that week, we, my family and I went to, to Dubai and I felt it. Seriously. They diagnosed me with COVID, serious COVID. So, don't worry yourself. It's good. So, for a whole week that we were there, I was isolated in the room. And, you know, um, I attended one meeting which, which I went for. And uh, these fellows, I, I go to their offices, all masked and so forth. And this chap walks in and says, William, why are you masked? I said, my friend, I'm not well. He says, look, if it's COVID, it's normal here. You know, we get it, go to the hospital, get cured, back to the office. So don't worry. You know, as long as you're vaccinated. That's true, I don't. Yeah. You know, so I, I got some little comfort in that. But, you know, the body was very sore. And as a result, we had to cut short our trip. Now, my wife was supposed to go with Wachizia. Our daughter is a medical doctor in Australia. We all met in Dubai. She was supposed to go and proceed to Australia with, with, with the daughter. And the daughter just said to her, go back and look after your husband. You're not coming to Australia anymore. And amongst them, they changed the tickets and everything else. And they came back in. So when we got back home, the first thing we did was to do a, a COVID test. Now you know that you can do COVID tests in, in, in the home now, right? So we did that. Uh, the very day we arrived in the evening, my wife administered the COVID test that it was negative. And uh, I said to her, you know, I need a hospital verification of this. <laughs> so the following day, Went to the hospital, they did the rapid, very rapid test. It was negative. I said, ah, no, no, no. Let me go to, I was almost going to TDRC. And then my wife says to me, what is your problem? <laughs> Two tests have come negative. So what is your issue? You know? So uh, uh, that was yesterday. Then I said to John, John, I think I'm fine now. I think we can go ahead with the. With, with, uh, with a meeting, I'll not be a, a health risk. In any case, there are doctors in there. I was expecting that Dr. Ngai will be here. Uh, which other doctors we have? You know. So we thank God that uh, we're having uh, this, this, this meeting. Now, the subject I was given to discuss, and I must warn you, but this will be an interactive meeting. I, I, I do not, uh, I don't want to give a lecture. I, I want to have input. Uh, you can input all of us uh, into the discussion. 
has given the subject of investment or investing for posterity or doing business uh, for posterity. Now, I like to believe that the leadership of the men's fellowship are premised their, their choice of the subject on Proverbs, Proverbs 10 and verse 20. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And, uh, the scripture, the scripture tells us that we're supposed to give an inheritance for, for, for our children. Now, an, an inheritance is not a negative phenomenon. An inheritance is a positive, you know, phenomenon. Because I know that some of us would want to leave our children with debts, and that's not an inheritance. That's a liability. Um, so, in the world in which we are, it's a world that is driven by enterprise, by business. Uh, it's a world that is, um, uh, almost everyone in this world is trying to make money somehow, somewhere. Um, others, maybe you know, through regular employment, others uh, employ their capital in other ventures, in order that they build that capital. Um, you know, others uh, in various ways are trying to make a living, to take out uh, a, a living that will not just sustain them now, but it will sustain them in the long term. And that's, that's, the, that's the nature of the world in which we live in. Big business, small business. We all talk about small-scale enterprises, medium-scale enterprises, big businesses. The idea is that whatever it is that you're doing, you are making money. And business is money-driven and profit-driven. Don't let anyone tell you that you're doing business for charity. Because when you're doing business, there are costs to be covered. And those costs will not come from charity. Those costs will come from uh, your generating what it is that you're um, involved in, in order to sustain uh, that activity. The word investment of business then has been defined in the following context. A conversion of money or circulating capital and some species of assets from which an income or profit is expected. It is spending that adds or which adds to the stock of capital traditionally regarded as spending on capital goods such as machinery, information, technology, infrastructure, securities, and other financial instruments. So basically, in the, to, to cut this whole uh, definition short, it is employing capital or employing money to generate a profit. So when you say to yourself, I want to be a businessman, I want to go into business, 
um, whichever business it is, whether you want to start selling Saraula or the market and so forth. My late mother was a marketeer at Buchi Market. She was selling vegetables in order to make a living and a profit. And I can tell you that when she, when she died, there was a saving that she had. And you know that those post, you know, you, you are still youngsters. Uh, the likes of Chimoni, Patrick, Henry, and so forth will tell you post office used to run a bank. You know that, huh? So each deposit that you now were there, each deposit that you made, you took your book to the post office and they recorded, isn't it? So out of the selling of vegetables and tomatoes and onions that my mom was doing, she was making a little saving. A little saving. For posterity, if you like. So the concept is to employ capital to generate you know, profits. And these profits may be tangible or intangible. Now, as believers, there are scriptures that talk about how our attitude to business and money making should be, isn't it? Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, Matthew 6. Now the attitude is not, as Matthew says in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your, for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's inevitable, it's invariably true. If your motive is to make money and money and money and money and forget about your God, that's where your heart will be. That's where your heart will be. Now the the the, the Matthew here is, you know, I think the the, the, the teaching is that we should uh, be wise so that we do not store up treasures here. Our focus, our <clears throat> direction, our vision is to work for God. But this story in Matthew does not suggest that we should not work hard. It does not suggest that we should not do business. It's talking about our motive for the profit that we, we are making. Um, and and, and you see, if, if, if it was discouraging going into business, then it would, if you like, contradict with the parable of the, uh, of the talents that uh, Matthew himself speaks about in Matthew 25. You remember the parable of the talents? What does um, the master say 
to those who did well. He praises them, isn't it? You multiplied, you praised a lot of praises from them and so forth. And for that one who hid the talent and said, oh no, 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 this guy is a, a difficult guy. You know, if I mess up with his, with his money, I'm in trouble. He criticizes him. But he keeps praise on those that did well. So Matthew is not an affront to work and investment. Matthew is not a license for laziness. It does not mean that we bury our heads in the sand because we are Christians. We are heaven bound. Therefore, here, no, you know, it's okay. No. You're supposed to work hard. We are in this world and therefore we have a responsibility to work the creation for a return. Uh, in order to live. Uh, you remember the two, one of the first tasks that God gave to Adam was to work the world, isn't it? Now in working the world, did he not say, just sit and observe and let things manage themselves? No, 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 he was giving him managerial responsibilities over the creation that he had made and to work it to the glory of God. So we need, if we're going to go into business, to employ um, that uh, uh, principle. So we have to invest or to go into business with a view to making a profit. If you don't make profit in business, what are you supposed to do? Liquidate. When I was chairperson of the um, of the of PACRA, we, we came up with a law which we're calling the Insolvency Act. Effectively, what we did was we separated the principles of liquidation from the Companies Act and set up a separate piece of legislation to deal with issues of business in crisis. And we provided we provided. Uh, 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 if you like, a middle-of-the-road solution. So that instead of you going straight into liquidation, go into what is known as business management. You're having difficulties, you can't raise capital, you can't you know, uh, you know, pay your staff, you can't um, uh, uh, you know, increase your whatever. Go into business management. And when you go into business management, you employ or you appoint experts who will help you to turn things around, isn't it? So that instead of going straight into closing, turn your business over to an expert and say, look, I think you should help me here. But the idea is, if you're going to go into business, you go into business for a profit. So, like I've said, the converse of what I've said that Matthew does not mean 
the opposite is correct, isn't it? It means that our work, our investment must not take the place of Christ in our lives. I remember the Ten Commandments, the Lord says we shall not have any other gods. It's a jealousy God, isn't it? We shall not have any other gods before It's the point. So it's, 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 um, there should be nothing that should take the presence of the Lord in our lives. So therefore, be at liberty to invest, to work, and prepare for posterity for your children. How then do you set about creating wealth? Now, we've said that it's okay to run a business, it's okay to start a business, and so forth. What are some of the considerations that you have to make before you start to invest or do business for posterity? Now, I would like to believe that Proverbs, when he's talking about your children's children, it also includes you, isn't it? Because your children, uh, sire, your, their children. So effectively what Proverbs is saying is that your investment should be such that it is long term, beyond generations. If you like, in, in Proverbs he's talking about the third generation, isn't it? But it could be beyond that, beyond that. So what do you need, what are some other considerations that you have to employ in order to achieve that? Firstly, I'm suggesting that you must plan your family well. Absolutely important, I think. The first step in investing for your children is to plan for a family well. So how do you plan for a family? You ask yourself the question, how many children do I need? Do I need? You say to your God, God, how many children do you think I can look after? And look after well. Now the belief previously was that the more children you had, the more labor that you had to plow your fields and grow more food. So children, if you like, were part of your investment for labor. I remember uh, having a, a serious discussion with my mother and my mother-in-law over uh, how many kids we should have. Now, there were seven of us in, in my family and there just now two of us remaining. And my wife had the only two of them. Huh? So when we had our third child, I said to mom, ah, mom, she was very excited, you know, came and lifted the child, hey, blessing, 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 what is it, blessing, blessing, and bam, that's the last one, huh? Last one? I said, yes. Chifukwa, you know, you know those of you that, uh, that speak the heavenly language will know that, uh, you know, what that, what that means. So then, then I now begin to explain to her, you see, uh, we want 
to give the best for these children, blah, 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 blah. You know, those explanations that you go through with your mother. Say, he says, what? There were seven of you. From my family, my father was poor, I was poor, and so forth. You, you are, do you have a good job? There's a car outside. Now, those of you that know, we're living in some basement. And as soon as I go, John, where you, yeah. There's a car outside there. Your father could not afford a car. It's just like a bicycle, blah, blah, blah. blah. I said, no, times have changed. No, 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 no. Times have not changed. And at that time, we're developing a property. You know, those of you that know the property that we have at Kilo Chapo, near Kilo Chapo. So I took my mother there. And says, you see, you're talking about three children. What about all these houses you're building? Who's going to live in them? That was on my mother's side. On my mother-in-law's side, she said, ah, you know, my mother-in-law is, is a retired midwife, huh? You know, you know, and she speaks very very, very calmly and very convincingly, is the point? So I said, no, ma'am, I don't know why that. Would you do that for the tattoo? This is the point. The point is, the perception, the belief was the more children you had, the wealthier you were. Because you had more hands to help you do your films. Now, in the African context, it even extended to wives. The more wives you had, the wealthier you, you were. Uh, those of you, you know the story of that gentleman who lives by, uh, he's dead now, isn't he? Isaka Road, somewhere there, he had about 50 wives. 50? 59. Something like that, isn't it? And all their activities were centered around that huge piece of land in the West Sahara. Now, of course, there were some religious connotations to that and so forth. But the point I'm making is plan your family. That belief is no more. When you plan, when you plan, um, Consider your resource best. Because you see, when you bring children into the world, you must ensure that you give them a quality life. You bring them, you give them a good education. You give them good health care. You give them a good home environment in which to fully develop, to develop their, their faculties. So this is no longer the case, guys. Uh, in the dynamics of the world economy today, the more children you have, the more you deprive them of a quality education, quality healthcare, and a quality environment in which to, to live. The world we live in is costly. Make no mistake about it. It is a costly world, and therefore we need to plan our families responsibly. I was reading, uh, there's a posting by a gentleman called Shishua and Shishua. 
He's made a post uh, on social media where he's criticizing our president for being a good boy to the Western world, but neglecting what is happening at home. And you know, you and, you and I know that what is happening at home is, is not good. Cost of living is high. Cost of fuel is high. We're now load shaded uh, for continuous periods of six hours. Um, and, and things like that. So plan, plan your family so that you 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 hedge them against some of these vagaries of the world in which we live in. So family planning number one. Number two, as you invest or do business for posterity, begin to think of some of the uh, uh, assets. Um, begin to think of some of the business activities or investments that will ensure a future for your children. So invest uh, for your children by creating things like trusts for them. You know what a trust is? You say, what I have, you know, instead of uh, sharing it out amongst your children uh, in your will or whatever, create, incorporate a body known as a trust and transfer all these assets into a trust that will be professionally managed for the benefit of your children. <clears throat> So if you have 10 houses, or, or 20 houses, or 5 houses, or 2 houses, or uh, that are generating an income for you, put them in a trust. Put them in a trust so that you protect. Uh, that way, you also remove the concept of foolishness amongst your children when you are normal. And, and I can tell you that in the practice of the law, I've been practicing law for some time now, I have seen instances where parents have left a number of properties for the benefit of their children. You know what they do? Begin to sell one by one. Ah, I want to drive the right road. So they begin a fight amongst themselves. I know this belongs to me. Oh, brings property sold. It brings overboard. In no time, another property sold. A Mercedes Benz bought. In no time, another property sold. There's a story told of this gentleman, and it's a true story. He had about seven houses when he, when he died in, in Osaka. Within a year, the children had sold all the seven houses. There was no house for their mother. There was no house for them to live in. They sold all the houses and began renting. Began renting. They began renting. In no time, they began failing to pay because all the money was consumed. So to protect your estate 
from such kind of irresponsible behavior by the children create a trust and make the trust be managed by professionals so that your children don't touch it. It will be for their benefit, yes, but hedge against their irresponsibilities. Invest in real estate. You know, one of the surest ways of investing for posterity is to invest in real estate. Because real estate has a tendency to improve in value as time progresses. <coughs> so your, your property which you bought five years ago for 350,000 is now worth a lot more than that, isn't it? Assuming you are maintaining it well. Property has a tendency, a tendency to um, improve and appreciate in value. Thirdly, I'm suggesting that you must avoid unnecessary debt. Avoid unnecessary debt. To be able to pass on wealth to your children, you must be financially responsible and avoid being robbed in debt. Now again, <clears throat> I can tell you that uh, the experience we have in our economy is that the people that we think are wealthy, they're not really wealthy. They're not really wealthy. They are all robbed and riddled in debt. Um, I've had the privilege of representing some of the wealthiest people uh, in our economy. Uh, at the time of their death, we're dealing with huge, huge, huge debts, which gobbled up a lot of their asset base. Because those has, the debt has to be repaid. You know the, the sad thing with the debt is that it doesn't go away. Eh? It follows you even if you are dead. It follows you to your grave. And it has to be repaid. Otherwise, the assets that you pledged as security for that debt will be uh, taken. So please avoid debt. This is not to suggest that debt is a bad thing. Because you will need to borrow at some point to invest in ventures with an attractive and certain return. <clears throat> the important point here is to ensure that you do not have debt instead of wealth for your children. So ensure that you balance your debt to income ratio. Your debt to income ratio is balanced um, accordingly. I'm suggesting, firstly, that as you, you know, investing for posterity, plan for your retirement. Plan for your retirement so that you do not burden the investment that you've left for your children for your sustenance in retirement. So separate the two. Separate the two. And you must always bear in mind that your children, even though you're investing for them, they're not your retirement package. 
So whatever it is that you're giving to your children, you're investing for your children, should not be made to sustain your life when you're no longer in gainful employment or gainful business or whatever it is that you were doing. I'm suggesting, firstly, that as you plan for posterity or do business for posterity, make a will. Make a will. Now, the perception of a will in this part of the world is funny, you know that, huh? It's very, very funny. We believe that if you make a will and show it to your wife, she might plan to eliminate you so that she gets the inheritance. Others believe that if you make a will, you are inviting death early. Now, all that is absolute nonsense. A will is a legal document that sets forth your wishes regarding the distribution of your estate or your property. In it, you make provisions for bequests for your children and any other beneficiaries that you might have in mind. I'm also conscious when I talk about the will that respectability for wills uh, hitherto was very, very uh, precarious. But now, respectability of wills is beginning to get more and more accepted. Uh, previously, you'll find a lawyer beaten up who was going to read the will to the family of the will. They beat him up and tear the, the, the document. Recent, more recently, sometime last year, a very prominent gentleman died and we had, we had his will <coughs> and we, we read it to the family. We respect and said, let us come to the will. Okay, okay, so it's, uh, and I said, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. The executor of the will was his only surviving sibling, only surviving sibling, his sister. So the sister says to me, is it him? You mean, this man did not leave anything for me? I said, no, he left you a responsibility to manage his estate. That's what he left for me. Without anything from my pocket? I said, unfortunately, yes. She says, ah, can't you know? He just walked out and that was him. To date, we still haven't finalized that estate because the sister decided to leave. And we can't find her because what we want to say to her is resign your position as executor so that we can go to court and go to appoint someone else who manages this, this estate. So this is, this is some of the problems that we, we, we encounter. But generally, I can tell you generally now, uh, a lot of families are accepting the concept of the rules. You know why? Because a lot of children of these, uh, of most of us, have been to school, number one. So there's a certain level of respectability of the wishes of their departed in the private. Number two, 
these nuclear families that we are creating uh, is, is making us more and more detached from the wider family. So when things like reading of the wheels and stuff like that is taking place, the wider family is excluded. So it's me, my wife, the children, and so forth. And a lot more people are making wills for the sustenance of their immediate, immediate you know, family. I'll tell you another story about these wills. Eh? A very prominent gentleman in Osaka, very, very prominent, uh, and very uh, fairly wealthy. He passed on. He appointed a very close friend of his as executor of, of his will. And this gentleman was in a second marriage, okay, the first marriage, where he had children failed. The second marriage, there were no children, okay? His mother, elderly mother, was still alive. So, in his will, wise enough to get everything his children and his mother, and a little portion to the surviving spouse, or hell broke loose, you can imagine. From who? The surviving spouse. And the mistake he made was that even the house they were living in, he gave it away. <laughs> so, um, the eventually she got back that house. It was his spousal uh, property. Take out a life policy for the benefit of your children. Insurance, insurance. And in our midst, Mr. Gombana is not here. I would have referred you to, you know, to him. Take out a policy which benefits your children at posterity. Um, and, and, and insurance policies protect against financial loss uh, resulting from the risk of illness, disability, damage to property, or one's demise. So you can take out a policy, a life policy, in favor of your children, so that at least they are protected. In that, um, in, in that regard. So, how do you grow your business? And like, like, how do you grow your business? Uh, I just want to go through a few uh, principles um, uh, and so forth. What is important is to start small. Start small. The members are saying that some of these members are saying some are wise, but most of them are not wise. And that tree that you see outside there was just a small little thing, isn't it? 
those of you that have been to our house, we planted some trees there when we developed the property. Now, there were just tiny little things, we just went straight there, straight there, straight there. Now the whole place is a bush. Start small. And when you start small, begin to manage your business in that manner. Begin to reinvest in your business. Don't eat the profit and the capital. The tendency with a lot of our business people, the tendency with a lot of our business people is to <clears throat> have this sumptuous consumption. We always want to be seen as Aziva Bwanji, isn't it? As Aziva Bwanji, I'm successful. True? So you start your business, the first thing you do is buy a Mercedes. And for some reason, this Mercedes nonsense is there. I've been working for 40 years plus. And I keep telling these young lawyers who come on the, on the, on the scene, my, the first car that I bought was a Datsun 120Y, registration number AAD5146. I bought that vehicle with a loan from Barclays Bank, 7,000 budget. Vibration, you know, you know that vehicle, you know, a lot of times. But these youngsters, two years at the bar, he wants to drive a Mercedes. What they don't realize is that the Mercedes is a very expensive vehicle to maintain, isn't it? It's a very expensive vehicle to maintain. He wants to drive a Mercedes because, ah, Mercedes driving a Mercedes. Mercedes has been working for 40 years. There's a huge difference between two years and 40 years, isn't it? And I keep, when I'm speaking to them as, as a mentor, and then I say to them, after that Datsun 120Y, I bought a green Corona. Toyota Corona. We're still at some days in those days. I sold that vehicle to Peter, Dr. Bill. A green, I bought a green. Uh, and of course, we bought a few other vehicles for lawyers in the office, but all from Japan. Right? Starting small and growing. By the time I bought a first. Uh, my first Mercedes, I think it was in the late 90s or so. Late 90s. Because I was able to afford it. I had made sufficient investment, I had made sufficient savings. I was able to maintain it, to maintain that value. Start small. Start small. When you, when you start small, ensure that your money goes back into, <laughs> let me tell you the story. We, 
those of you uh, who have been in, around long enough, you know that we are running service stations, right? BP, Atusakili, yeah, my brother is still running this. My wife was running this BP service station at Atusakili. Previously, previously, the people who were running that thing were either retired BP senior staff or prominent business people in Kitwe. Now, when you're running a service station, it's, it's, it's cash intensive, right? You'll be generating, I, I remember looking at the books, my wife and you know, our team, they were generating over 100 million, 140 million piano in sales. What did I say? In what? 120 million in all the banks wanted that business. You know why? Because it was cash. And banks like a business that bring in a lot of cash. Okay, it's in, out, in, out, but the cash is still in the bank, right? The reason the previous owners were failing to run those things was because when they see 80 million in the bank, they think it's their money. One of the guys who were told by, uh, he, was, he was a senior manager in BP, the first thing he did when he saw that kind of money, bought a Mercedes. The next thing he was on a flight on holiday to England. But that's not your money. It's not your money. It's someone else's money, isn't it? All you're doing is selling a product on behalf of the oil marketer. And your money in that, at that time, uh, ERB was allowing a retention of, for operators of something like 2.5%. 2.5%. Now, in 2.5%, you have to pay workers' salaries. And BP, you have to pay them rent for the station where you are. You have to pay ERB license fees out of the retention that they allow you to. So at the end of the day, your profitability is... Now the difference is how you are disciplined about employing your profitability. Now, when, when we were still operating with BP, it was very easy and good because they would give you product, right? They would give you product, you pay them later. They give you, because they didn't want you to be dry at all. They wanted their stations to be wet all the time. When these Blanco fellows took over, the whole ball game changed. Before they give you product, 
got pay in advance. So you can imagine the strain. Now, if you are not disciplined, it's very easy to. But she worked very well, extremely well. She was one of the top five service stations in the country, in the whole country. At one time, she was second. BP, or what are they called now? Uma decided to change the policy. They said, no, 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 no. We'll now start running uh, on profitable stations. That is how they grabbed the station back. Now they're running it, but it's gone back to the same old problems. Uh, one of the managers was telling us only about a month ago, yeah, how are you people managing this thing? The sales have dropped, this has dropped, this has said, no, no, it's called discipline. Simple. Because they are looking at all that money, thinking it's their money, when it's not their money. So start small, reinvest, 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 and grow. <clears throat> you can seek <clears throat> financial help if you run into challenges with that. In this country, we have an institution called CEEC. What is it called? Citizens Economic Empowerment Commission. Now, if you were to ask me about CEC, I'll tell you, yes, it's good for small-scale businesses, but it's not good for, for if you want to grow, grow bigger, grow bigger, grow bigger. So if you are seeking financial help, go to CEC. Um, avoid, avoid borrowing from callovers. Now, you must say, oh, Carlos is Musenenda coming to, to me and saying, here's 100 kwacha, you pay me 300 kwacha. But even these microfins are doing exactly the same, isn't it? The interest rates that microfins are charging are extremely, extremely, I call, it, I call them embarrassing, or extortionist, not extortionist. And because they are charging extortionist uh, uh, interest rates, they are making embarrassing profits. In an economy like ours, the only institution that is making money, mega money, is the financial sector. Uh, not long ago, Zanako declared a post-tax profit of one billion. What? It's never happened before. Seek professional services, people to assist you. Because you see, when you're doing business, you're not an expert. All you know is how to sell your products, isn't it? You're not an expert in finances. You're not an expert in legal framework. You're not an expert. So have a team of experts to surround you. I keep telling people, you do not go to lawyers only when you are in trouble. 
go to lawyers before you get into trouble. Because they will assist you not to get into trouble. So have them on your team of experts to give advice and so forth. Similarly, financial advisors, have them to assist you uh, as you go about your business. Strategic planning is absolutely critical as you employ your capital. It's called visioning, isn't it? Visioning. What is, your, what is the vision of your business two years from now? What is the vision of your business five years from now? What is the vision of your business ten years from now? So you plan. You set out a plan which identif identifies your strengths, your weaknesses, the marketplace in which you are, the financial sector, the human resource capital employment that you're going to be using, utilizing, you plan for all these things. But as you do that, engage experts to run you through uh, these plans. In all this process, what should you avoid? Avoid borrowing from a brother to start a business. No, Mr. Nyenda, no, I want to start a business, loan me 10,000 questions. You know what I tell, tell people come to ask me about that? I say to them, my brother, I love you so much, but I'm not a bank. You know, if you're going to borrow for, write a business plan. If you don't know how to write a business plan, find an expert to help you write a, write a business plan. Go to your bankers. Avoid borrowing from a brother because that tends to destroy relationships. I keep saying to know the character of anyone, Christian or non-Christian, I don't care. Show them money. Show them money. Expose them to money. Then you know their true character, isn't it? So don't borrow from a brother. Because sooner or later, you'll be in fights. You'll start fighting. <coughs> Because of money, and that's not good. You destroy your Christian testimony, you destroy your relationships. Avoid being delinquent in meeting your obligations. Now, businesses have obligations there's tax obligations, there's employee obligations, there's all these kind of things. The other day, uh, this is not true, I got a letter from ZRA. He said, Wenda, we are thankful for your contribution to the revenue 
basket in the country. As of now, your contribution to tax is so much. How many of us receive letters like that? For you to receive a letter like that means that they've audited you, isn't it? And they've seen that your books are correct. Huh? Because you see, when you're doing business as a Christian, you're not just bearing witness to you're representing the God that is in you, isn't it? So your testimony, your testimony should be of a higher quality. Don't have ZRA on your doorstep all the time. And I can tell you that in one of the enterprises that we, we do, they have made a refund. A refund of over 250,000 budget, which they overtaxed me. So we went through the books and they said, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. We received the money in the account. Have a good testimony in meeting your obligations. There's insurance obligations, Mr. Pormanere will tell you, you know, I have an arrangement with my brother, who will pay you, but take us along, take us along, we will not escape the insurance burden. Have a good testimony to, to, to your insurance obligations. Don't underpay your staff. Don't run away from your employee obligations. The other day, I went. I was. I went for for tests at Sanket. 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 And then um, they did all these tests, and they, they see my wife pay. She said, "I'm not supposed to register with the Lima, Lima." It's, you know, it struck me, why, why am I not on Lima? And yet all my staff on Lima. So I called the accountant, I said, you were chairman, why am I not on Lima? He says to me, no, no, you as an employer don't qualify. I'm paying medical insurance for you guys, and I can't pay medical insurance for myself. Doesn't make sense. If I go to the hospital, I have to pay out of my pocket, and when you fellows go, I have to pay for you as well. It doesn't make really sense. So meet, avoid being delinquent in meeting your obligations. Having said that, you know, when you, when you, when you miss some of these obligations, I tell you, I'm, I'm embroiled in a wrangle right now with NAPSA, uh, right? For some reason, in 2014 or 2018, they've cited six. Uh, my chaps forgot to remit. I didn't know. This is the job that accountants do, isn't it? I received the letter in October. You did not pay. The principal, the principal 
of what I should, we should have paid was hundred eight thousand. The penalties and interest are now at one point five million. So I said to to the chaps who came to see me from uh, this one is mine. I don't know the van, I said the van is communal. It's not extravagant. If you can afford it, if you can afford to 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 own one or two in the motor vehicles, and I know most of you here own more than one motor vehicle, uh, do it, but it must be not be done because you want to shop. Every asset that you have must have a function. Otherwise it will be construed as extravagance. Don't be boastful about what you own. Do you know who I am? My daughter was telling us a story yesterday and when they came back from, from Dubai Checking in to come into the border with the husband. One prominent gentleman who assumed that the whole country knows who they are. Hmm? Was also checking in. She says to us, and this guy at the counter says, Oh, excuse me, sir, what is your name? This guy took a face of You don't know who I am? No, sir, I don't know who you are. Do you live in Zambia? He says, yes, I went to the airport. And you don't know who I am. The guy says, and this is my daughter narrating, and who is again very dramatic in the narration sometimes. The guy says, no, sir, I don't know who you are. Don't you know that I was a previous minister? So the boy said, so how does that affect me? <laughs> and the boy becomes rude also and says, you see, oh, you're a previous minister. Tell me what you did for me. That was none other than our very famous minister who was quite a member of parliament. So, humility. Don't be boastful about life. You know. You know. <laughs> when you've been prominent in the society, it becomes extremely, extremely difficult to accept that you're no longer in that position of influence. You know that, right? When I served as mayor, uh, anywhere you went, there was always a seat reserved for you. Oh, the mayor is coming, so you know where you sit there, you know, the prominence, white, 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 white. When you leave the position, they don't know, they don't know you. Understand? So you go to a function, in your mind, you're thinking, where am I going to sit? Can you find a rude chair who says, Who are you, sir? 
about talked about determined, isn't it? Let me, let me come back and say this in a couple of things there and then it will soon be it will soon be chosen. I said when you're investing for your for your children, your retirement should not be based on what you're investing for posterity, isn't it? You must have your own retirement in a benefit and, and so forth, which should uh, guarantee a decent, <clears throat> a decent um, uh, life uh, after work. Retirement is obviously dependent on how well you have invested. Most experts on retirement advise that to prepare for your retirement, you pay attention to the following items. Now, looking at the house here, most of you are way, 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 but you must start preparing, isn't it? There are very few of us here who are in retirement age, but you know, for you youngsters, these are some of the things that you, 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 you should bear in mind. One, what house will you live in? Now, <clears throat> Patrick here worked for the mines, you know, and Henry for the mines. Huh? The mining industry was the most comfortable base for any graduate to work in. You know why? The minute you join them, they give you a flat. You can West or Ghana East or whatever. Flat. As you are working, you rise and you rise, they move you from a flat into a house in Ghana West or Ghana East uh, or Parklands or wherever. Okay? What they do not give you is a decent salary. They don't give you a decent salary. But they give you all these amenities. I mean, if you want a bag of many meal, press the button. If you want uh, a light bulb change in your house, press a button. They didn't even know where Zesco was to pay for the electricity. Come again. nappies. For their children, they have children, they buy the button nappies. <laughs> now, I had a number of high placed friends. In ZCCM, executives, chief of executives. I was introduced to the then chairman of uh, Minnesota Synthesis for Down through those interactions. Eh? <coughs> An old man of mine, uh, Dr. Maichanya, we met when I was at university, was my counselor. And in those, remember, you know, in Patrick. You had those counselors who were lecturers. I 
and they would you know give them a section of the of your compounds you know to look after uh, students in this. so if you have a problem if you have this distress if you are suffering from amnesia or whatever you go and have a chat with your cancer right so that's how I go to know Good friends, very good friends today. When he was general manager, every month, every month, a weekend, it's a Saturday, every month, we would meet there and we would invite almost all the top players of CCCM bosses Mr. Francis Carpenter, Mr. Max, Mr. Brian Moore. Name them, all those top guys. The only man who was not at that function in all that time that we were there was my late teacher, for some reason I don't know. We began privatizing this is here. You remember? Privatization. All those specs just. Static, three of those top guys died from depression. But suddenly, there were no three cars at home. There were three or four, five. One for the wife, one for the dad, Suddenly, there was no big house. Fortunately, Mr. Chua was very, very uh, gracious. He brought that housing empowerment policy, isn't it? That's how a lot of them bought those houses. But they needed to pay for electricity. They needed to pay for water. They, start, they had to start learning, you know, to do that. And in the process, because some of them were not used to that system, Bills were accumulating, isn't it? <coughs> and suddenly, my general manager, I'm an Why does that happen? What happened to the lights? <laughs> so you begin, you must begin to learn to find your own level. Not a level that is sustained by the institution. Because if your level is sustained by the institution, <clears throat> that's not sustainable, is it? As long as that institution is there, okay, the minute it disappears or your, your, your engagement with that institution goes, you're not trouble. You're not trouble. So as you prepare for your retirement, learn to find your level. Mwana Shewa's dad very well has started a farm and the animals there. So even if they invest in fires, they will still be milking his cows. And still need this. Ascertain how much income you will need on a monthly basis. And how much does that take? So if you take into account your groceries, 
your utility bills, your fuel, maintenance of your motor vehicle, and in fact, if you have an expensive motor vehicle when you approach retirement, get rid of them. Get a vehicle that you can easily sustain. <clears throat> so have your determine your monthly. This, this is not just for retirement purposes. Even now, those of you that are startups like uh, Richard, uh, John, and, and, and the rest of you are startups, begin to to employ financial discipline. How much do you need to survive in a month? Your transport, your church requirements, important, isn't it? Your church requirements, community expectations, begin to tabulate all those. As I said, the community, the community has a sense in which it also contributes to your depression. <laughs> yes. And that's what I'm saying. Glad you have to our point. Because whether we like it or not, the community determines our expectations. My elder brother. He's a businessman in Kangoshi. A prominent businessman in there. He overextended borrowing and so forth, so forth, so forth, so forth. So forth, so forth. Banks moved him. So he came to see me and I said to him, You see, I want you are overextending yourself. He had this, this, this notion that you should invest in some emerald mining. Is going to hit its reach and so forth and so forth. So, what he was doing is moving capital from his businesses and throwing it into, into this pit called a memory of mine. And I warned him, having had the privilege of being chairperson of Kajab Mining, I knew what kind of money you needed to be in that industry. If you are going, if you are thinking of going into mining, let me warn you. Have at least five million dollars, not quite yet. Five million dollars, which you say to yourself, this win or lose, I don't care. How many of us are in that uh, position? Say so anyway, you know. So we, we managed to rescue his, uh, <clears throat> his assets and, and so forth. Then I said to him, you know what? I think he died. I said, yeah. So, what, what do I do with it? I said, this property is just put them up for rent. Put them up for rent. And then so Community. 
was a very, very difficult issue to resolve. Eventually, it took five months. And uh, now it just tries a small code. So I said to him, so, uh, when I became home with his wife, so I said to him, so, what is your community saying? He said, ah, they don't say what they want to say to me, that's a good attitude. So the kind of principles to observe as you do all this in life and as you continue in business are the following. One, discipline. We've talked about discipline, isn't it? Two, we've talked about hard work. Most of us, unfortunately, just do the barest minimum. Now, in business, my friend, if you just do the barest minimum, you remain at minimum. Right? The guy that succeeds in business is the guy that goes the extra even if it's not demanded. I keep telling uh, young lawyers, I said to them, guys, when we're building our careers, we'd wake up at midnight. We're still in the office. Midnight. Now, marriage counselors will tell you, no, 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 that's not good. You have to be with your wife, to be with your family, and so forth, isn't it? But sometimes duty demands that you work that late in order to meet your targets. And the beauty is, when you meet those targets, and you're a faithful husband and a good Christian man, the results will impress your wife, isn't it? This will extend more comfort more luxury to them. That, you know, that ring that she always wanted, whatever you went on, you wanted it, uh, you know, you're going, Albert will tell you, you know, he's walking in Joburg with his wife, and his wife is looking at this jewelry. If only I can have that ring. It will not come if you don't work hard. If you don't go the extra mile, high integrity, absolutely important. Your reputation, uh, your reputation in the community must always be intoned with high integrity. One of the criticisms a lot of people have about Ms. Amanda, Bob, and our telephones, we discussed this thing, is that, ah, you don't see him anywhere. Not just his home, his office, and church. Some don't even know that I go to church. Right? They don't think that I can be in church. She's <laughs> very hard. Very, very hard. So I said, I said to them, so, where do you want me to be? Which 
So if you know that your business is shady, that man is not a man to go to. Now, that's a good reputation, isn't it? Because you know, they know that if they come to me, I will not entertain. And most of the things that, particularly these Chinese who have come and invaded our economy, Chinese buy a lot of properties. You know that. You know that. And one of them came in and said, ah, I'm saying that we'd like you to represent us. Uh, the purchase price of this property is so much. Uh, but for tax purposes, put it at this feet. So I looked at him and I said, Are you serious? He said, Yeah, that's what everyone else is doing. That's what the problem is, and not everyone else. Because <laughs> I don't want you or me to steal from our treasure. If I do this, I make you the government of the Republic of Zambia, which are part of, because it is our government, those brethren. He looks at me and he says, must be very different. And he walked out. They walk in there. Integrity. Integrity. I was telling you a story where Zedari had written us this commendation for having contributed so much to the treasure. They came, audited all our books. And this is the thing is we we're very transparent in what I do in the office. Very, very transparent. There's nothing in there. The money that is coming in is not received by Mr. Nguyen. The money that is going out is not done by Mr. Nguyen. Staff giver. Extremely transparent. So Zebra came, collected all our books, all of them. Audited them, everything. Zero. Or they came back on one of the one of the businesses and said, Oh no, no, no. on this you omitted to pay, is it twenty-seven thousand or something? On this business, oh no, 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 we owe you so much. They've given us back our money. Transparency. Honesty, accountability, and of course be determined to succeed. You see, there's no there's no sin in being determined to succeed.
Unfortunately, from a historical perspective, the Christianity that we inherited from our friends who are missionaries, is, they tell us, be content. Be content. Uh -uh. Contentment is not synonymous with laziness. We're studying that at our Bible study. This isn't it? But by Contentment is not synonymous with laziness. God has given I said to you earlier in Genesis chapter 2, God said to Adam, go and exploit, manage. Miles Monroe says, God appointed the first managing director of the universe, Adam. That he should work the earth, exploit the earth, be diligent about the exercise or provide good quality stewardship over the creation of God, over the assets. That's again. So God has given you some assets to manage over. Be a good steward. If you're going to be a good steward, you employ all these, um, all these uh, attributes and also provide the high moral standard. Remember, the ultimate goal is the glory of your God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. It's very, very cutting for me in my business relationships. It's a very, very cutting piece of scripture. <clears throat> Whatever I do, I ensure that we do it excellently. Excellently. For the glory of God. Develop a habit of savings. We've gone into this. Uh, we've talked about social security, you know, issues. Uh, we've talked about your returns on your investments. Now, when I say one of the surest ways of investing for posterity is real estate. Savings, insurance policy. Now you can also go into securities, you can go into bonds, you can go into stocks, um, and, and so forth. <clears throat> Those of you that have a little bit of money, invest on government bonds. The yield on government bonds are very good. So go to your bank and say, if you have two million voucher, two million voucher, five million voucher, go to your bank and say, can I invest on government bonds for a ten-year or five years? Government bonds now attracting something like this, eleven percent, twelve percent. Where are now? Keep them there. Five years. If you have five million voucher, you put it in government bonds at 
ten percent you are getting five hundred thousand every every year. Huh? Multiply it by five years, it's two point five. Ten years you multiply your money. Don't touch it because that's your posterity investment, isn't it? Keep returning. As I close, let me emphasize, children are not an investment. My own papa. That's how I say to some of these member idiots. Sometimes they're very useless. Let me make one of the useless ones. <laughs> My Once let your children papa you. Do something for yourself. Instead, provide an inheritance. Plan. An inheritance. Create an inheritance for your children. Thank you.